Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are doing day six of Q&A. Glad to have you along for this one. Uh, I've got a, several questions here I'm looking forward to uh, diving into. <laughs> uh, hey, David Bickard fan. Good morning. Hey, Lewis. Oink, oink. Already got a question up there. Hey, good morning, Keith. Refor, refor motion. <laughs> I've been bringing, uh, bring on your, oh, is it binging? Oh, binging. Ha, should get my glasses on. Uh, on your podcast. Thank you for the content. Oh, you're very welcome. All right. Uh, Oink Wink says, by the way, the intro song is stuck in my head and is being sung in our home. That's fantastic. I will tell my son. He'll be very, uh, being very encouraged by that. For those of you who might be new with us, uh, the intro song I play on the video, uh, I don't think we get it on the podcast, but on the uh, on the video, is uh, my son, Gabe Gooden. You can look him up wherever you uh, listen to music and listen to his whole album. All right, uh, so a couple questions. One uh, came in last week or two weeks ago, asked my view on hell. So we are going to discuss that, but first... Uh, someone asked, Ron, it might have been you, I forget, Ken, somebody, asked uh, this question, uh, can you tell us what books are on your shelf in the background? I've always wanted to ask that. Uh, I can tell you, the challenge is, can you still hear, actually, I think, let me see, can I, can I do this? Are you all, can you all see? Yeah, okay, looks like it's showing up. And I'll try to keep it where I can talk you through it. So top shelf here, um, I have various and sundry just Christian books. You might see Bonhoeffer there. Hope you all can hear, still hear me. Let me know if you can't. And uh, some other miscellaneous uh, books. Then on this next shelf, that series is the um, NDBT, I think it's called, the New... But biblical theology series, I forget. If you look them up, there's some great books on biblical theology there. Then I've got some word commentaries, and I've got some other commentaries. Uh, Edderman, I think, and Baker. And uh, then I've got some more commentaries. I've got the, you see the three there, the kind of gray. Uh, those are the Institutes of Elenctic Theology. Uh, when I asked uh, R.C. Sproul what the best... Um, uh, systematic theology series was he says there's only one so I went and spent a whole lot of money on that series and well yeah it's uh, it's why I don't like systematic theology uh, more dictionary uh, commentaries uh, this is one of the most valuable sets of books I could ever own this is the uh, called the big kittle the uh, theological dictionary of the new testament and there's a little kittle which is one volume this is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about nine volumes. This uh, series takes almost every word in the New Testament, every Greek word, and traces its usage in the Old Testament, in the, the Septuagint, and the uh, Judaism, the rabbis, and the New Testament, and then uh, ancient Greek culture, and on into the uh, church fathers, how they use it. So it is sort of just a, a historical etymological survey of most, almost all of the New Testament words, which really helps you kind of get a sense of how uh, the words used in the New Testament were used throughout language. 
And then down here, I got uh, most of the pillar commentary series and another commentary. And then some big books down here, some Bibles. Uh, uh, what is that? Oh, yeah, the Zondervan Study Bible. If you're looking for a study Bible, I think it's now called Biblical Theology Study Bible. That's probably the best one. And then some others. And then over on toward the right, two of my most important books, New Dictionary of Biblical Theology and the Commentary of the New Testament Use of the Old Commentary. And then over here, uh, I've got a bunch more books. Uh, and I don't need to go with just a smattering of all kinds of books, some Greek texts. Oh, there's a fan and all that. So anyway, uh, somebody asked, and there you go. Uh that's a small portion of the books I used to have, uh, and no, uh, no Heidelberg Catechism. Actually, I do have the Heidelberg Catechism uh, over there that I didn't show you. All right, thanks for that question. So someone asked here, uh, can you speak about your view on hell? Uh, I hesitate to, uh, to get into it too quickly, but uh, meaning... I'm not going to cover it in ex with an exhaustion. Maybe we should do a series on uh, on it. I'll, I'll give that some thought. Let me give you some places to, to begin thinking through, at least how I think through it. So we really need to, uh, we need to, that's why I say this should be a whole series. Um, so in the scripture, hell is the Greek word Gehenna, and that is not the same word as Hades, and they do not mean the same thing. And that's important because uh, when I talk about um, uh, the King James, and one of the reasons I don't use the King James is because where it's wrong, I think it's really wrong because of the Greek manuscripts. Um, I believe the King James translates Hades a couple times as hell and there may be other English there are other English translations do the same thing and uh, we shouldn't do that we should not confuse those categories those are not the same thing so uh, do you realize that the word Gehenna hell Jesus uses it in uh, several places in the Gospels and then James uses it and that's it uh, let me let me pull this up for you here we go. So Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Whoever says his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Literally the Gehenna of fire. A little bit later he says, if your right hand makes you stumble, throw it out. It's better for uh, one of the parts of your body to be lost than for your whole body to be thrown into Gehenna. And then we see the same kind of thing used uh, throughout uh, Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel around sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much the son of Gehenna as you yourselves. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of Gehenna? And then uh, we see Mark, same thing. Uh, Luke uses it this way. And then James. That's it. That's it. That's, those are the only places where uh, Gehenna appears in the New Testament. Uh, where it comes from is actually the Old Testament. We go here to, uh, we'll go to Jeremiah 7. 
Uh, so Jeremiah 7 starts this way. You shall speak all these words to them. So this is God speaking to the prophet Jeremiah. But they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer you. You shall say to them, this is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God or accept correction. Truth has perished, has been cut off from their mouth. Cut off your hair and cast it away. Again, telling uh, Jeremiah, take up a lamentation on the bare heights. The Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. So God is really angry with this generation. Why? For the sons of Judah have done that which is evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have set their detestable things in the house, which is called by my name, to defile it. So they've put idols in the temple. They've built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Okay, so that phrase there, Hinnom, is uh, the word that becomes Gehenna. This valley of Hinnom, the valley of the son of Hinnom. So they built high places where they worshiped idols uh, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, and it did not come into my mind. So what's happening in this valley of the, of the son of Hinnom is the Jews are offering their sons and daughters as sacrifices by burning them up and God is he's he's this is abominable to him therefore behold days are coming declares the Lord when it will no longer be called Topheth or the son uh, of the valley of the son of Hinnom but the valley of slaughter for they will bury Topheth because there's no other place sorry they will bury in Topheth the dead bodies of this people will be food for the birds of the sky the beasts of the earth and no one will frighten them away then I will cease to I will make to cease from the cities of Judah, from the streets of Jerusalem, the voice of gladness, and so on. So the point is, because of this uh, great wickedness of the uh, burning of and offering sons and daughters, uh, God is going to slaughter the Jews. And it, it's happening in this place, the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. And it's, he calls it the Valley of Slaughter. Well, that over time then becomes uh, the, the place outside of the city of Jerusalem where, uh, according to rabbinical teaching, they burned their refuse. Right? They didn't have indoor plumbing. They didn't have toilets. So what do you do with your waste? Well, you take it out and you burn it. And uh, trash. Again, they didn't have garbage trucks that pull up once a week and take their garbage out of their garbage cans and take them to a landfill somewhere. They didn't have that. So they took the garbage out to this fire and, uh, the bodies of wicked men, convicted criminals, those kind of things, those kind of people were cast into the fire at Gehenna. And this became the symbol of waste, um, and wicked people being thrown there, their bodies after they died. In, uh, in Mark, is it? Let's see. Yeah, in Mark 7, Jesus' version, uh, Mark's version of, of this, if your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast in Gehenna, 
And then he quotes, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Now we just assume because we've been told this that this is the lake of fire for eternal damnation, right? Well, this phrase, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, is a quote from Isaiah 66 at the end, when God is pronouncing judgment upon the Jews. Uh, we talked about a lot of this in the previous course. All right, so from new moon to new moon, Sabbath to Sabbath, all mankind will come bow down before me. Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed me, for their worm will not die, and their fire will not be quenched, and they will be an, abhor an abhorrence to all mankind. What do worms have to do with death? If you think of people dying, you think of worms, what do you think of? Anybody? Think of dead people and worms. You think of, yeah, decomposition, maggots, those kind of things, right? So at least in Isaiah, God is saying, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to destroy my people and there's going to be a lot of them and the worms are going to have a lot to feed on and the fire will just keep burning because there'll be more and more bodies to be tossed upon it. That's the imagery that Jesus uses in Mark 7 here. It's better to be entered the kingdom of heaven with one eye than having two eyes being cast into Gehenna where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So that, that raises the question, is he talking about Gehenna? That what, when Jesus said that, he's talking about the fire that's still burning outside the city? Or is he using it as a metaphor for destruction? Uh, the, uh, the rabbis over the time before Jesus showed, uh, showed up uh, took Gehenna as a, um, as a symbol for eternal destruction. That may be what's going on there. It's certainly worth asking the question, is he talking about the destruction of Jerusalem here rather than eternal damnation? Now, before you hear what I'm not saying, I, the question I was asked was about hell in particular. It's only used in the Gospels and once in James where James says, uh, the, the, the tongue is set on fire by Gehenna itself, meaning what we say is destructive, just like Gehenna burns bodies and that kind of thing. So then the question becomes, is, is Gehenna, is this fire in Jerusalem or outside Jerusalem, is it a, a representation of eternal destruction? And a case can be made for that to that for sure. Um, we need to think of other passages, like in Hebrews, we saw it is appointed for man who wants to die, and then judgment. Uh, Jesus in John 5 says, uh, 
Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did good to a resurrection of life, those who committed evil to a resurrection of judgment. So this setting is clearly people who have died, all who have died, all who are in tombs, rising and then being judged what that judgment is what what actually is happening there uh we are not given a whole lot of information uh someone put it uh who was it uh ron says annihilationist theology i am certainly not an annihilationist uh i don't see the scripture anywhere teaching that uh those who rise to a resurrection of judgment that they are just eliminated. Uh, we have Revelation 20, of course, the uh, death and Hades, not hell, death and Hades thrown into the lake of fire. That lake of fire is not referred to as Gehenna. Um, so we just have to be careful. We know that after death comes judgment and the wicked who are not forgiven in Christ will be judged for their wickedness. And it seems likely to me that that is an eternal punishment because it's parallel to eternal life in several places. Uh, again, this deserves a lot more. Please don't read anything into what I'm saying and not saying. Uh, I, I wanted to answer the question, but there's a lot of different pieces to put together here, a lot of different passages we need to look at. Um, so bottom line is Gehenna literally was the fire outside of Jerusalem where waste, refuse, uh, uh, trash, and uh, dead bodies were burned. It becomes an image of judgment for sure. Is it an image of eternal judgment? Maybe. I'm not discounting that, but we'd have to go outside. Uh, we'd have to dig into this a little bit more uh, to get to that conclusion. Uh, Lon says, if Hades is not hell, how is the rich man said to be in agony and flame? Um, so Hades was the, uh, the, so the, in the, in the old Testament and in Greek, uh, in the Greek world, the uh, death had two compartments. In the old Testament's called Sheol in the new, in the, so in Hebrew it's called Sheol, Sheol and in uh, Greek it's called Hades. And, uh, so the, the rich man of Lazarus, which I think is a parable, but it's describing the, there's Abraham's bosom. And then there's the other place where the rich man is. They're both Hades, but one is where the wicked went and there was torment. It was a waiting place where they were tormented until judgment. And then there was Abraham's bosom, which was where the righteous went. And it was a more comfortable place as they awaited what I think is coming of Christ. So what I think was going on is before Jesus, everyone who died went to Hades. The wicked went to the tormentuous part and the righteous went to Abraham's bosom. And then I believe that Jesus at the resurrection took uh, the, the Abraham's bosom side, paradise, and took, took all of the saints to heaven. I believe when Christians die, they go to heaven. I believe the wicked still go to 
tormentuous part of Hades awaiting final judgment. Uh, so uh, Hades would be unpleasant to say the least, but it's not the final suffering. Uh, Ron says, John 3.16, perish versus eternal life as opposed to eternal torment. Yes. Yeah, that, again, this is, this is a complex, this is hard because the, the words there that perish, uh, it's, it, it's a word for ruin, for destruction, and the parallel is with eternal life. So for the annihilationists, I don't, I don't see where, where they get that from the scripture. Uh, because there's regular parallels between eternal life in Christ and eternal death or perishing, that kind of thing. Um, but there isn't a passage that I'm aware of that just lays this out exactly the way we'd like it to. Oink Oink says, Revelation says, the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. Uh, yes. Um, Uh, revelation is just uh, it's we all we just have to be careful with revelation it is it is symbols and there are other things in the bible that are said to last forever more that don't mean without end absolutely for instance the um aaron will be a priest forever the hebrew word olam is very similar to the uh, Greek word ionion, it means a long time into the ages, that kind of thing. But uh, it's not as simple as just saying oh, it means you know everlasting with absolutely no end. Context will show us that, but um, the Aaronic priesthood did not last forever and ever and ever. It lasted a really long time. So just got to be careful with with some of those things. <laughs> Lon says so preseason, uh, kinda. Uh, Ron says parish is completely consumed and no more. Well, not necessarily. Um, that's again. I, maybe, maybe I shouldn't even brought any of this up uh, without uh, having the time to get all go all the way into all these pieces. Um, again, we have to let context. These words are used, and we want them to be so precise, like eternal and, and those kind of things. But we have to look at the context in each case and say, what what's the point being made? And uh, there is a strong case we made that eternal life, when it's in parallel with death, that eternal death as judgment uh, would parallel eternal life as judgment for the righteous. And so that's what makes me think annihilation is uh it, the parallel doesn't fit but we just have to be careful and not grab a a word and give it a definition and assume that we know what it means everywhere we have to let context always be uh the final determiner lewis says it will not be uh, this is isaiah thirty four ten. it will not be quenched night and day its smoke will go up forever from generation to generation it will be desolate none will pass through it forever and ever Right. Um, and that kind of language is used again and again and again. And I'm not, again, please hear me. I believe that the, that judgment 
for the wicked is um, is eternal and and conscious. I just want us to not bring that assumption to every text that we encounter, but let's look at the texts themselves and the points they're trying to make and be careful about extrapolating it, that kind of thing. Uh, Ron says, go to the Greek, pastor. Uh, Greek, where? Uh, makes judgment punitive rather than corrective. Punishment is not corrective. Yeah, punishment is not corrective. Uh, those two words mean two different things. Discipline is corrective. Punishment is intended to harm for the purpose of retribution. Uh, <laughs> David Becker, off topic. Is that an acoustic guild behind you? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, Jason Jones, is hell not a literal place? Um, yeah, that that's a great question. Ah, man, how do I answer this? Um, think about, I mean, the, the vision of Revelation, for instance, where death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. That doesn't make any sense, right? That's imagery. Death can't be thrown into a fire. Hades can't be thrown into a fire. The same passage where, you know, Satan is there as a, a dragon bound by a chain. Well, he, he's not a dragon and there's not really a chain on him. So there's a lot of, a lot of uh, imagery there that's teaching something, revealing something. But uh, is, is Gehenna, is, is hell a literal place? I don't even, almost don't, don't know how to, how to even describe what hell, it is, it is God's punishment and wrath, well, is hell. Again, I wanna, I wanna be careful about the phrasing. Uh, Gehenna does seem to represent the experience of those who are judged guilty by God on Judgment Day. So are they going to be put in a place? Yes, but it's... Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be awful. I guess it's a place. I mean, I guess spirits can be in places. Um, but it's not, I don't think it's a literal lake of fire. It's also called the place of outer darkness, right? Where there's fire, there's not darkness. Uh, all these different images express, in my, in my view, express different aspects of being punished for your sin. Now here's, Here's the thing. If the lake of fire, if Gehenna, are the, if those are the metaphors that God uses to describe punishment for the wicked, then what's the reality like? It, it's even worse, isn't it? I mean, can, can you imagine anything worse than burning forever? So you don't, want to be found unrighteous on judgment day. So put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ so you'll live eternally with him in the new heavens and new earth. All right, uh, please, please don't extrapolate anything I have said or haven't said here. 
now in hindsight, I'm reflecting here thinking maybe I shouldn't have uh, addressed this at all without having the time to walk through all the passages because I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. Um, but it's worth really being careful of as you study because it's a very sobering topic. We want to be accurate about it for all sorts of reasons, right? So, all right, we're going to leave it there. And uh, tomorrow we will wrap up our uh, Q&A time. See you tomorrow, Lord willing.